The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. And the title of our sermon this morning is The Cosmic Light. Jesus is not another false summit or flickering light that will be extinguished by the smallest gust of wind. Jesus is the light. There is no other hope for humanity. The people stretch from one end of the globe to the other. The stars and galaxies flung far and wide and all answer to one cosmic light, Jesus. Jesus is our cosmic hope. And so this morning, we'll be looking at John chapter 1, verse 4 to 5. And we'll be exploring the idea of Jesus being the light. And so in John chapter 1, verse 4 to 5, it says, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so John makes three important points in this passage, and that's what I'll be exploring with you this morning. The first point John makes, John makes is, Jesus is the light of all mankind. What do we use light for? One of the uses of light is to illuminate, to uncover, and to reveal everything in its path. Light helps us see what we're looking at. In the same way, like light, Jesus illuminates, uncovers, and reveals to us what God is like. And that's what John is talking about. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus reveals to us what God is like. In John chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus said, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And why is it important for Jesus to be the light? It is important because God desires for us to know him. God created us so that we can have a relationship with him. So that we can know him and so that he can be our God. And that is why in the Old Testament, God revealed himself through Israel so that they can be a light to the nations. And how did it start, right? In Genesis chapter 12, God calls Ibrahim. That was supposed to be a joke, but okay. <laughs> God calls Abraham. Ibrahim is my name for those of you who don't know me. Sorry, Blake, I was supposed to do this at the beginning. My name is Ibrahim, and I'm a community group leader here at the Refuge Church. Okay, well, that's good. So let's start again. In Genesis chapter 12, Verse 2, God calls Ibrahim, right? And there was nothing special about me. I was just hanging out. I mean, Abraham was a pagan, living in a pagan uh, community. And God came to Abraham and God said, I will make of you a great nation so that through you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And God said, leave your nation, and go to a place that I will show you. And Abraham leaves. So what is God doing? 
Through Abraham, God chose Israel, who will be his people, and through them, God will gain access to the families of the earth. Through Abraham, we see God entering into our history by identifying himself with a certain group of people called Israel, who in return were supposed to be his light. God called Israel to be his light to the nations. How well did Israel do? Did they represent God well? Well, we'll find out. So I'm going to give a brief history of the Old Testament. And this is a lot of cutting and editing. Because if we give the history of the Old Testament, we'll be here for many years. You guys want to get out of here, so... Here's a brief history of the Old Testament. So fast forward with me from Abraham to Moses. In the book of Exodus, we find that Israelites are an oppressed minority in Egypt. And how did they get to Egypt? Because there was a famine around the world. And Joseph, who was an Israelite, was also the governor of Egypt. And so he brought his family over and the 12 sons of Jacob later represented the 12 tribes of Israel, right? So at this point, Israel is in Egypt. But also, the new Pharaoh doesn't like them, and so as a result, they are being persecuted. They are slaves in Egypt. But also, while they are in Egypt, they forget about who God is, right? Even Moses, when God came to him, it's like, who shall I tell them you are? And God had to remind, or God had to tell Moses who he is. And also, the book of Ezekiel suggests that they are worshiping the Egyptian gods, right? This was a God who made a covenant with them saying, I will bless the world through you. And now we're finding out that they don't even know who God is. But in his infinite mercy, God delivers them from Pharaoh, and he does it alone. And then as they are wandering in the wilderness, at Mount Sinai, God renews his covenant with them. God said, I will be your God, and you will be my people. You will be a light to all the nations. And then God also gave them the Ten Commandments. And then when Moses came down from the mountain, what did he find the people doing? Worshipping other gods, worshipping their Egyptian gods. And then fast forward with me into the book of Samuel. In the book of Samuel, Israel asked for a king. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 68, but when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king, as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. The people who are supposed to represent God are instead worshiping other gods. And God wasn't pleased with them choosing a king. And actually in the next, ver in the next few verses, God warned them of what the kings will do to them. But still yet, 
they wanted a king. And God said, okay, you can have your kings. But also, God was hoping that the kings will uphold the covenant that God made with Israel and that the kings will lead the people into keeping the covenant. But almost all the kings failed. If you read the book of Kings and the book of Chronicles, we see that the kings actually encourage Israel to worship other gods. And most of the kings were actually really wicked. If you read the book of Kings and Chronicles, right, like they were all consistently bad kings, bad kings, bad kings. And then sometimes you have one good king who, you know, did some good things. And then sometimes you have a good king who was good and then was bad at the end. But almost all of the kings were really bad. And then God decided, I can't do this anymore. Something needs to change. And what does God do? He exiles his people. After the reign of Solomon, Israel breaks into two kingdoms. In the north, the north is Israel and the south is Judah. Right? And so Israel's northern kingdom is destroyed by the Assyrians. Right? And they came and took the elites, the political and the economic uh, people into exile and that was the end of the northern kingdom and then in 586 the Babylonians got tired of the insurrection and the rebellion from the state of Judah which was the southern kingdom and they came in force besieged the city took it and burned it to the ground and then they took all the elites into captivity in Babylon but during the time of the exile God spoke to the prophets, and the prophets proclaimed something religiously unprecedented. That God himself was responsible for their exile. Not the Assyrians, not the Babylonians. God himself took his people into exile. But why? They were supposed to be his people. He was supposed to use them to be a light to other nations. Why will God exile his people? The answer is because of the injustices that was in Israel and because of their idolatry. God wanted to be their God, but instead they were more interested in worshiping other gods than the one true God. But also, the prophet also proclaimed the coming of a new reality, a whole new way in which history worked. In this new reality, God alone can work the transformation. His involvement with the nations will be, in the end, his unilateral work. God will be known again, but he is going to do it himself. The people failed, the kings failed, some of the prophets failed, and God said, I will do it myself because nobody can represent me like me. So how will God do it? Because it is impossible for a human mind to behold God directly. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 18 to 20, when Moses was talking to God, Moses asked God, God, I want to behold you. And God said, you don't want to see me. Because if you see me, you will die. Instead, Moses saw the back of God. But even then, he was overwhelmed 
with God's glory. Because God is powerful, therefore we cannot see him. And so how will God reveal himself to us if we cannot even comprehend who he is? Some early Christian writers used to compare understanding God with looking directly into the sun. I've tried many times and I failed. Maybe that's why I have eye problems. Right? Because the human eye is simply not capable of withstanding the full brilliance of the sun. And in the same way, the human mind cannot cope with the full glory of God. I remember a story. Uh, it was a conversation between a Roman emperor in the second century with a Jewish rabbi, uh, Rabbi uh, Joshua. And during their conversation, the emperor asked the rabbi to allow him to see his God. And the rabbi said, no, you can't see God. And that answer displeased the emperor. So the rabbi took him outside and told him, well, look at the sun. And this was in the middle of the day or in the summer. And the emperor replied, it is impossible to look at the sun. And this is what the rabbi replied. If you cannot look at the sun which God created, how much less can you behold the glory of God himself? It is simply not possible. John Calvin, the reformer and the French theologian, argued that God cannot be comprehended by human mind since we are sinful and finite but through God's generous and kind nature by which he takes into account our weakness as humans, God accommodates himself to our ability, right? So even though the human eye cannot look at the sun, we can still look at the sun through a dark piece of glass. And in a way, that's what God did. God accommodated himself for us. And in John chapter 1, verse 14, it said, the word became flesh. Already in John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And so in John chapter 1, verse 14, we see that God, who is the word, became flesh. God became man so that he can reveal to all mankind what he is like. God accommodated himself for us by taking the form of a human so that he can become the light that reveals to us what God is like. And during this Advent season, that is what we celebrate. God accommodating himself to us as a human to reveal himself to us. The second point that the passage makes is that the light is the giver of life. Jesus is the giver of life. One of the uses of light is that it gives life, right? The sun gives life to plants, to animals, and to us. I was reading a study that said people who live in places where there's much more sun are much happier and live a better life than people with no sun. So think California, Florida, Nigeria, and then compare them with people in Washington. Nothing against people in Washington, but there's something about the sun, right? I mean, in the summer, most of us are happy. We want to do things. We have life. 
That's what the Son brings. And in the same way, Jesus brings life for us. In Psalms chapter 39, verse 9, it says, You are the giver of life. Your light let us enjoy life. And then in John 10, 10, I came so that you can have life, but life in abundance. So as the creator and the giver of life, without Jesus, there is no life. To say that man can exist apart from God is to say that a story can exist without a storyteller. Our existence depends on God, whether we acknowledge his existence or not. And as the sustainer of life, God unceasingly provides life on us and to the rest of his creation. Even those who reject God, even those who don't believe that God exists, God still sustains them because Matthew tells us that he gives rain and sunshine to the just and the unjust. To think that man can live without God is to suppose a sunflower can continue to live without light or a rose without water. It is simply impossible. Our life comes from God and God alone. He is the giver of life. And then the last point that John makes is that the light overcomes darkness. The light conquered darkness. Jesus, our light, conquered darkness. Since the fall of man, we have lived in total darkness, right? And then in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2, Paul tells us, Ephesians 6, 2, Paul tells us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That is what our battle is against. An entire system of spiritual darkness spearheaded by Satan himself and carried out by hordes of demons and influencing every corner of the earth rages right below the surface of our everyday lives. Every day we are being confronted with the darkness of this world. So how do we live in any hope while we are drowned in this darkness? While well, our hope is in Jesus, because in Jesus, we don't have to hide from the dark anymore. No matter how dark our days become, God sent his son Jesus to give light to those who sit in darkness and to those who sit in the shadow of death. Luke 1, 79. Christ shone his light into every corner of our darkness. He was not afraid of the dark but came into our darkness and overcame it. Because remember, God's people couldn't do it. The kings couldn't do it. The prophets couldn't do it. But God came and overcame that very darkness that overwhelmed us. So should we worry about the darkness that still surrounds us? I say no, because Jesus has conquered the darkness, you too can conquer the darkness in this world. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, the Apostle John writes, 
Little children, you are from God and have overcome the worst in the world. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Jesus also said, in this world you will have many trials and tribulations, but take heart, I have overcome the world, I have overcome the darkness. Do you believe Jesus? Even as you watch the stream of discouraging news in our nations and around the world? Do you believe Jesus even with all the trials and the tribulations that you face in your life today? I say, yeah, we can trust and believe in Jesus because Jesus has overcome the world and in his name, you also have overcome this world. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith, our faith in Jesus. And because Jesus has conquered darkness and we identify ourselves with Jesus, we have also conquered darkness. And therefore, we cannot be afraid of the dark in this world. So how do we respond? How should we respond? In closing, I want to read Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. It said, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And in Ibrahim twist, I will say, in the same way, let Jesus shine in your own life. Let the Jesus who brings light, who brings life, who conquers the darkness, shine in your own life so that true Jesus who lives in you, he can do the good works in you so that God will be glorified. The mission hasn't changed. God still wants to be known. We fail, but Jesus didn't fail. And so true Jesus living in us, he can shine through us so that we can reveal to the world what God is like. And that is the hope that we have in Advent. As humans, we fail, but Christ doesn't, right? And so let's welcome Christ. Let's receive him for all the things that he has done for us. And as we put on Jesus, our Father in heaven will be glorified because of Jesus in us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this special season. Thank you for coming into our world and taking our likeness so that you can show us what God is like. And Jesus, as we celebrate you during this time of the year, I pray that we will allow you to shine in us that you will consume all of our being, that we will long for you, and that we can appreciate also you coming into the world and giving us hope and for conquering the darkness that overwhelms us. Thank you for this, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.